Our passage for study this evening is John 14, verses 12 to 14. John 14, verses 12 to 14. And we're thinking this evening about our greater works. Our greater works. Perhaps as we get older, we take more delight in giving gifts than receiving them. Well, I said perhaps, maybe, maybe some of you uh, think, nope, I definitely still prefer getting gifts. But nonetheless, uh, perhaps as we get older, we prefer giving them. And we'd be very disappointed in any case if we put thought and care into a really great gift for someone, but we never saw them use it. If the dress just ended up hanging in the wardrobe, if the toys lay neglected in the corner, if dad never wore his personalized socks, we'd be so disappointed We want the gifts that we give to be joyfully received and put to good use. Well, the Lord's table reminds us that we have received the greatest gift. We have received life in Jesus Christ. He has said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And as we considered this morning, it's not that Jesus merely shows us the way or that he suggests a way or that he kind of of gets us started on the way and then leaves us to it. Jesus himself is the way. His death, his resurrection, his sacrifice for our sin, it is, he is our way to heaven. And that is the greatest gift that we could ever receive, forgiveness for our sins. But it's also a gift that we need to put to good use for the rest of our lives on earth. And hopefully you'll see what I mean by that as we get into our passage tonight in John 14 verses 12 to 14. Jesus here is still speaking at length with his disciples ahead of his impending death. He'll be arrested in just a few hours and go off to his uh, sham trials. Uh, But he begins here now in verse 12 to change the subject and to speak to his disciples about the blessings that will come come to them after he has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And I've gone down in verse 16. He says to the disciples, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, he will be with you. Jesus is promising the disciples that the Holy Spirit is coming to them. That they're not going to be left powerless or defenseless. They're they're not going to be left wondering what to do day in and day out. A special strengthener, a special helper is coming. (coughs) And through that helper, they will be given the power they need for the good works that Jesus has for them to do. What are these good works? What work is it that Jesus needs from us? We want to think tonight about how we are to respond to this precious gift of salvation that Jesus has given us. And the way that we're to respond to the gift, the way that we're to respond to the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life, is to respond by doing the good works that he has called us to do. Thankful believers respond with good works. That's really our key thought for this evening. Thankful believers respond with good works. Notice first of all tonight that our works will be the works of Jesus. Our works will be the works of Jesus. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Having comforted his disciples about what what lies ahead, Jesus now turns their attention to something else. Truly, truly, he says there. That means listen up, change of subject. 
I know you're discouraged. I know you're frustrated. I've given you the reassurances that you needed for that, but, but now there's something else important that you need to hear. And Jesus tells his disciples that they have work to do when he eventually has left. The sort of things that these disciples have seen Jesus doing and heard him preaching, they're the things that these men are now going to have to do. The priorities that Jesus had for three years of his earthly ministry are to become their priorities. Proclaiming the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel, seeing to the needs of people. But Jesus says that they will do his works. And the reason he so closely identifies the work that the disciples will do with the work that he has done is because he is sending his spirit to empower their work. The same spirit that anointed Jesus for his earthly ministry is going to anoint the disciples for their remaining ministry. And Jesus has been training them and preparing them to do these good spirit-filled works. And of course the very next book of the Bible after John's gospel shows us that this is exactly what happened. Uh, What's the next book of the Bible called? The Acts of the Apostles. And Acts begins, I wonder if you ever noticed the beginning of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 is very interesting. It says, in my first book, O Theophilus, I wrote of all that Jesus began to do. We believe that Dr. Luke wrote the gospel that bears his name, as well as the book of Acts. And so there at the beginning of Acts, he's saying, my gospel was the prequel, this is the sequel. And he begins Acts by saying that this is a book about what Jesus continues to do. The Gospel of Luke was about what he began to do. This is about what he continues to do. What does Luke mean by that? He means that Jesus is still at work today through the church, through his people. And so it ties in perfectly with John 14 verse 12. Whoever believes in me will also do the works or the acts that I do. In some ways, the book of Acts, not to confuse you, but the book of Acts could also be called the Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's him working in his apostles. So let's not be mistaken, friends. Our our Reformed theology does not mean that we forget all about good works. Good works are very much a part of our theology. It's simply that they're not what earn us our salvation. They are the results of our salvation. They're the evidence of our salvation. As I said last Sunday evening at our guest service, I think this was from Alistair Begg, you're not put right with God because you're good. You will start to be good when you're put right with God. Jesus' whole public ministry was about doing good works, works that were demanding, works that involved self-sacrifice, not just supremely at the cross, But in many other instances as well. We thought a few weeks ago for example about Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4. Jesus was tired. Jesus was thirsty. But rather than ignore that foreign woman. Rather than shun her or treat her like a servant or an object. Jesus chose to speak with her with respect. And to evangelize with her. He showed compassion to her. The day when he heard about Lazarus having died, he he could have summoned Lazarus back to life from where he was. Jesus, on other occasions, healed people 
who were uh, dreadfully sick without even being in the same place. But Jesus chose to make the effort and to go and to comfort Martha and Mary and to stretch their faith and perform the miracle in such a way that brought more glory to God and more comfort to those involved. And in, in many other instances, friends, Jesus was, was always giving of himself to those that he served. And we are to do likewise. We are not Jesus. We are not divine, heaven-sent, perfect sons of God. But we are nonetheless adopted sons of God. We are to increasingly bear the family resemblance in how we give ourselves to good Christ-like works. And as we do, it's proof to those around us as well as reassurance for ourselves that we really do belong to Jesus. As I said, that this is the, the result, this is the evidence of our salvation. That's what James means in his epistle when he says, faith without works is dead. It's not that James is putting forward a different gospel to Paul. He's talking about what our justification leads to. That being justified by faith leads to good works accompanying that faith. And Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 2 verse 10. Paul says there we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For good works which God prepared beforehand. In other words God has saved you and has work for you to do afterwards. It's exactly what Jesus is saying here. To his disciples. Let me take this opportunity as your pastor to say. That across the membership of this church. On a regular basis. The works of Jesus. Are on display. There is an unfussy. Head down. Hard working servant attitude. uh, Among many of you. As you organise and serve food. And help with outreach. Or or see to the building. or, Or oversee finances. Or carry out pastoral duties as elders those are the works of Jesus some of you will be getting involved in them later in the autumn with arrows or sabbath school or CY some of you the works of Jesus that are most evident in your life is your parenting or your grandparenting Jesus has called you to that work oftentimes there is nothing glamorous about it the world belittles it it's not interesting or exciting to the world but It's work to be done to the glory of God. We sought to be about the works of Jesus last month in our evangelism. And in the weeks ahead, we continue to look for opportunities in our personal evangelism. To be doing these things and many others, friends, countless other things, too many for me to mention right now, is to be doing the works of Jesus. As he showed love, we should show love. As he cared for the needy and neglected, we should care for the needy and neglected, whether it's in Dromore or Pakistan or Morocco or Africa or anywhere else. His compassion should be our compassion. His self-sacrifice should influence our self-sacrifice. If we're truly thankful that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, then increasingly we want to be doing his works. What works of Jesus might you be doing this week or in the weeks to come? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Our works will be the works of Jesus. Secondly, our works will be greater than the works of Jesus. 
our works will be greater than the works of Jesus. And if that sounds like a very surprising uh, title for a point, look at the second half of verse 12. This is what Jesus himself says. Greater works than these will he do, as in the person who, who does my works, because I am going to the Father. What does Jesus mean there that his followers will do greater works than the works that he had been doing? Maybe we read that and think, how could that possibly be true? What does Jesus mean by us doing greater works than what he was doing? Well, of course, he, he doesn't mean that we will do anything. Any, any one of us will do any single thing greater than what he has done in offering up his life in our place for our sin on the cross. That is the single greatest act, the single greatest work in the history of the world that cannot and does not need to be matched or repeated. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The answer to what Jesus means here comes in what he says next in verse 12. He says, greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I am going to the Father. That's the key to understanding Jesus here. Since the night that Jesus first spoke these words to his disciples, he has gone to be with his Father in heaven. He died, he rose, 40 days later he ascended and he is seated today at heaven's glory in his glorified resurrection body. And he has sent his Holy Spirit upon the church. And millions, if not billions of Christians have been doing the works that Jesus has for us to do for 2,000 years now since Jesus spoke these words. So friends, in terms of how many people there have been throughout history who have been doing the works of Jesus Christ, we live in an age of greater works, greater in quantity, greater in frequency, greater in the spread and uh, in the reach of these works of Jesus. In our culture, people like to compare eras and ask whether now is a better time to be alive than a generation ago. Uh, most people end up quite nostalgic for whatever era they they sort of came of age, whenever it was that they were in their late teens or early 20s. And we maybe end up thinking that was the best time to be alive. Not necessarily an accurate summary in most cases. But that's what some people end up feeling like. They get that touch of nostalgia. Well, friends, truly for Christians, now is a great time to be alive. It is a much more blessed time in the history of salvation than it was for Abraham or, or Moses or David or John the Baptist. Because the resurrection has happened and the spirit has come and the gospel has been preached and is being preached all around the world to millions of people. A countless number of people because of the works of Jesus' followers and preaching the gospel and gathering for worship and being witnesses because of those works, millions of people have been saved. Millions of people have been filled with the Spirit and begun doing the works of Jesus Christ. Moses and David and the prophets had to tell people about something that was still hundreds of years away in some cases. The people that couldn't see it, yes, they believed it. The Old Testament saints believed it by faith, but they did so with far less information. And they had to look forward in faith to things that were yet to be done. We have the privilege of looking back 
at things that are completed, as well as, of course, looking forward to heaven. And so in the, time, in the sense of the time in which we now live, greater works are being done. Don Carson says, unlike the works of Jesus before his death, the works of believers now will immediately and truly reveal the Son. There was this veil over people during Jesus' ministry. Most people didn't understand Jesus' parables. You think about 5,000 people being fed with the bread and the loaves, or sorry, the the bread and the fish. Great. How many of those 5,000 people were standing at the cross of Jesus Christ, declaring their faith in him? People were veiled. There There was a limited understanding. We live in a greater time because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and because Jesus' work on earth is finished. Further reason why Jesus says we will do greater works, uh, as I've sort of mentioned already, but just to flesh it out, is because the works of Jesus are now happening on a much wider scale. Jesus, in his humanity, while he was on the earth, lived with the limitations that we live with. He was not in Ireland at the same time that he was in Jerusalem or Galilee, for example. Other than when he performed miracles, Jesus was limited in all the same ways that we are in his humanity. He was limited to one place and one thing at one time. But the power of Jesus today is manifested as far as Christians are found. The gospel has been preached today in Iran, albeit in very different settings from us here tonight. But it has been preached there at the same time it's being preached here. People are teaching Sunday school classes in California a few hours after we finished ours in Northern Ireland. People are meeting together for prayer in Africa, just as they do in Europe. As far and wide as Christians are found, the works of Jesus are being done. And so our works today are greater, not because, I mean, It's laughable to say it, not because we are greater than Christ. Of course not. It's not what he's saying. It's him by his spirit who's doing the works today. But they're greater in the sense that they're happening on a much wider scale than they were in the days of Jesus' earthly ministry. But the final reason why our works are greater is because because of the result. Because they result in sinners being saved. Again, touched on it already, but they're being saved in greater numbers than they ever were. In the days of Moses or David or Isaiah or even Christ himself while he was on the earth. Now of course again it's only God who can change the human heart. And the Holy Spirit does that. Births new life in sinners. But he uses us. He uses us spirit filled believers proclaiming the word to do that work. There is no greater work, J.C. Ryle says, there is no greater work than the conversion of the soul. And whilst we can't affect change in a single soul, we are given the message to preach to those souls that the Spirit then uses. Isn't it humbling to think that it was the preaching of imperfect, sinful Peter who had denied Jesus three times, not the preaching of perfect, sinless Christ, It was Peter's preaching that led to 3,000 converts at Pentecost. 
Jesus, during his earthly ministry, confined to Jerusalem or Galilee, never preached to the same number of people that some of his followers have done since. The Spurgeons, the Owens, the Whitfields, Lloyd-Jones. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, his name wasn't known across Europe or South America or Africa or anywhere like that while he was carrying out his earthly ministry. But down through the centuries, he has made his name known in all those places through the works of his followers. So Jesus has sent us out to do greater works greater in a greater time, done on a greater scale and having greater results. And so again, friends, shouldn't we be so thankful for the time and place in which we live? Let's not just be moaning and groaning about all the challenges and all the problems and all the things that are against us as Christians today. Yes, our nation is increasingly hostile to the gospel. Yes, we have to take our stand against the sorts of things being forced into our schools and all the rest of it. But we are living in the gospel age. The new heavens and the new earth are almost here. We're not seeing things through the veil of the law like in Moses' day. We're clinging to the unfulfilled promises of the prophets in Isaiah's day. Jesus has come. His work on earth is finished. He is seated in victory in heaven's glory. Should that not motivate us to get on with whatever works he has called us to do? Should we not eagerly seek out the people and the places to which God would have us go and do the greater works that he has called us to do? Today, as we once again have been blessed by the Lord's table, as part of our thankful response, we must seek opportunities to do these greater works. So our works will be the works of Jesus. Our works will be greater than the works of Jesus. And thirdly and finally, our works must be fueled by prayer to Jesus. Our works must be fueled by prayer to Jesus. Look at verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Lest we in any way misunderstand Jesus here when he talks about us doing greater works. Lest we get carried away and think it's all down to us. Here's the important qualifier that further explains what Jesus is saying here. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The language means he answers the prayers that are in accordance with all that the name of Jesus stands for. It's important to understand that. He answers prayers that accord with what his name stands for. You maybe sometimes hear people say things like, not in my name. You know, so-and-so did not have permission to say what they said or to do what they did in my name. In other words, I don't want my name tainted or or associated with some mistake that this person has made. Well, what Jesus is saying here, friends, is that he will always answer and provide for the prayers of those who pray in accord with all that his name stands for, all that the name of Jesus means. So it's not that we can just use Jesus' name as sort of a a catch-all, you know, we tag it onto our prayers and that just means anything we ask for, we get. That's not what he's saying. It means that we're to pray in faith, we pray with reverence, we pray what would accord with the glory of God. 
And we wait for Jesus to answer those prayers. And yet, friends, look at the the scope, nonetheless, of what Jesus says. We can ask for anything. Anything. If you ask me anything in my name, he says, I will do it. What a challenging thought that is. Maybe we're finding the situation at work tougher than it needs to be because we haven't prayed about it. Maybe we're finding our marriage more difficult than it needs to be because we haven't prayed about it. Maybe we're not effective witnesses because we haven't prayed about it. Maybe we don't have peace about what it is that God wants us to do this next stage of our lives because we haven't prayed about it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Prayer will not necessarily make problems just go away altogether. It's not what I'm saying. But we will be better able to deal with them. We will be better able to get on with the works that we're called to do if we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. There was a speaker at a conference a few summers ago in Northern Ireland. He was a missionary. I believe he had uh, served in various parts of the world, seen wonderful things done in the name of Jesus, people getting saved by the dozens, acts of grace, supernatural uh, involvement and intervention by God just when his people needed it. Whole communities perhaps transformed in some cases. In a question and answer session, someone asked him, Why do you think we're not seeing more conversions in Northern Ireland or in Ireland? The man replied, I want you all to go home and add up how much time you spend watching TV or on the internet or in your hobbies. And then add up how much time you're spending in prayer. And then you tell me why we're not seeing more converts in Northern Ireland. Quite a challenging thought. And there may well be other reasons uh, why there are not more converts, it's not uh, God's, God's word always does its work, whether to condemn or whether to bring people to repentance. But maybe the prayers or the lack of prayers of God's people do have something to do with it. I don't really know a lot about cars, certainly no expert on them, but I know that I won't get anywhere if I don't fill my car with fuel. And the fuel we need for our greater works is prayer. And the Holy Spirit. And the two very much go together. In fact one way you can measure. How full you are of the Holy Spirit. Is how often you pray. And I'm not talking about just. Spending hours on end in prayer. Instead of going out to do the job. That God has given you to do. But as you're going. Or as the pressures mount. In the course of the day. Before you get up and leave the desk. To go to your lunch. Or to go home. Or to go out the door. Lord, help me with this today. Lord, commit this situation into your hands. Help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to parent today, to deal with that colleague today, to be gracious to my spouse today, to speak about Jesus today. Punctuate your days, punctuate your problems, punctuate your appointments with prayer. It's the fuel that we need, friends, to do the greater works that we've been called to do and to see fruit from those greater works. May in Jesus' name not be a tagline to our prayers. May we think carefully about what it is that we ask in Jesus' name. 
Unless there is any misunderstanding at all about what Jesus is saying here, lest we, his followers, doing his works, become proud or arrogant or complacent, Jesus warns us in the very next chapter of John's Gospel, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So pray. Commit your way to the Lord if you want your plans to be established. Are you excited for your greater works? Should we go out and get on with our greater works? Yes, we should. But we should commit them in prayer to Christ first and if possible, even while we're in the midst of them. Prayer is designed to humble us because it reminds us how needy we are to have to come to God and ask as our little children come to us and ask. And they often come with, uh, without, a, without a second thought. I need something. My mum, my dad, my granny, my granddad can give it to me. So why would I not come? So why would we not come to our Heavenly Father and ask? Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of the great preachers of the 20th century. man used by God to bring hundreds of people to faith in the city of London and elsewhere as well. His wife once said, you will never understand my husband until you understand that he is, above all, a man of prayer. I would love it to be said years from now, as people look back upon what God has done in Dremor, you need to understand that those people in Dremor RP Church, they were people of prayer. And that might explain some of the great things that God does for the glory of his own name. It's very encouraging to see a good number gathered for prayer just before our service this evening. Our next opportunity for prayer is on Wednesday night. I would urge you to make whatever changes need to be made in your schedule, your family schedule, so that someone from your household is there to pray as often as possible at our midweeks this autumn. We will see nothing good done if we have not been pleading with God to do it. We've plenty of opportunity for greater works in our congregation, our wider church. Again, commend you all for your involvement. And in these past weeks, the, the weeks there at the end of August, they got very busy. Uh, it was, there was greater works on display. There's plenty to fill our weekly schedules in the weeks ahead. But let's commit it all to Christ in prayer. Again, look at the scope of what he says here, friends. Verse 14. If you ask me anything, anything in my name, I will do it. There's a promise that will fuel our prayers for years. That promise will keep you praying for your loved ones for years to come to faith. It will keep us witnessing and serving for a lifetime if we believe it and we put it into practice. So I hope we're thankful this evening for the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. May we show our thankfulness by doing the greater works that he has prepared for us to do. Amen.